Good morning, everybody. Good morning, morning. We're going to get started. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, just calm us down and just give us the spirit of wisdom, revelation into the true knowledge of Christ, a quiet spirit, a quiet contrite heart which you do not despise. Father, we come to you a needy people, bowing our knee before you, asking you for your insight and the lovely truth regarding the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that we come to worship on this, the re his resurrection morning each Sunday. We thank you for that. Thank you for all that you've done and given us in Christ, for his finished work, sacrifice, for the word of God, the word of truth, the word of his grace, which is able to build us up and reveal the inheritance that's ours among all those who are sanctified. Bless the service, every aspect of it today, to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand. You did not wait for me to draw me to you, but you clothed yourself with all humanity. You did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me, and I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you that you came to seek and save the Do not wait for me to draw me to you, but you clothe yourself with full humanity. You do not wait for me to die out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me, and I'm forever grateful. Save the lost. Yes, I'm forever grieving. 
you may be seated. We're going to take the offering. Let's pray once again, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for those who come regularly, who understand the importance, the advantage that belonging to a local assembly has for them in their spiritual life, their spiritual growth, their association with other believers, their portion in Christ that they share with others as an encouragement, and also the way that we are encouraged one with another in this place. Thank you, Father, that we have this place, this fine place to meet, and that you gave us this place, and it's an affordable place, so that it doesn't unduly burden anyone. But thank you for the giving, the gifts and giving of this congregation that keeps things alive and that keeps things going. And, of course, Father, you motivating that giving, as you always do, and as you do with everything that pertains to life and godliness through the Word of God, through the precious promises, through the Holy Spirit, who works deep within each one of us to bring about the transformation into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, which is the goal and that which pleases you. Father, all of that occurs here. And the giving of offerings keeps the local assembly financially sound. We thank you and praise you for all of these things, for those who you've given us here to be our friends and spiritual family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, last night I was rehearsing what I was going to do today, and uh, I didn't think that these two songs went together at all. I, I could never imagine that they did, but um, this is something from my childhood, and also uh, Isaiah 26.3, which says that, he will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in him. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is the rock eternal. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock And the rains came tumbling down The rains came down and the floods came up The rains came down and the floods came up The rains came down and the floods came up and the house upon the rock stood still. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in him. Because he trusts in him. He will keep in perfect peace Him whose mind is steadfast Cause he trusts in Him Because he trusts in you Trust in the Lord forever For the Lord, the Lord is a rock He 
Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is a rocky tower. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is a rocky tower, rocky tower, rocky tower. Trust in the Lord. He will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. He will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is a rocky tower. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is a rocky tower. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is a rocky tower, a rocky tower. Rocky turbo, trust in the Lord. Thank you, Vicky. Good morning, everybody. Turn to Romans, please. Continuing in our series, Romans verse by verse. Sunday, January, January, February what? What is the date today? February 11th, that's what I meant, 2024. I've entitled the message this morning, Stop Boasting in Yourself. Boast in the Lord. Stop boasting about yourself, who you are, what you've done. Stop it. I said stop it. Boast in the Lord. Romans 5.11. You can turn there. We have it right here. 5.11.12. As far as we might get this morning. From the New American Standard, it says this. And not only this. What do you mean not only this? Well, it's being saved by his life. By the continuous intercession of Christ. Our souls are saved in time. By the word of God, our lives are saved. Our souls are saved in time. James 1.21. With meekness receive the deeply implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Our life is saved by the very life of Christ. When Christ, who is our life, for me living is Christ and dying is gain. This life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's called the life of Christ. It's called being saved by the life of Christ. Yes, we're saved through his life. And not only this, but we also, we go a step further. We boast. Glory or exalt, boast. Calcaomai. In God. We boast in God. What are you boasting about these days? God? How wonderful he is in your life. How grateful you are for all that he's done and given you. I sure hope so. For the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
You grateful for those things? You boast about that? Paul said, I will boast in nothing except the cross. That's where we need to go. That's, where, that's our goal. That's, the, that's our aspiration. New aspiration. That we would boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. Nothing else in comparison with that even begins to have any comparative basis whatsoever. Not only this, but also, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we boast. That's why we boast in God. That is through our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, what he's accomplished for us, who he is on our behalf, even now, our great high priest and the author and perfecter, finisher of this faith race that we've all entered in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. See, I've been away for a while. I get Hebrews and Romans mixed up. I get everything mixed up these days. I must be getting old or older. Anybody relate? I know some of you can. So, not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all in one breath. Don't se- you don't separate. We don't separate God and Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ is God. God is Jesus Christ. He is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In case you don't know who he is. And you have to know who he is to boast about who he is and what he's done. Then it says, through whom we now have received the great exchange. His righteousness for our sinfulness. His holiness for our sinfulness. His ability for our disability, his word, and his thoughts for ours. We have the mind or the thinking of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, so that we might adapt and adopt his attitudes about all things. Think his thoughts and adopt his attitudes regarding all things. And live in the humility and sanctity of Jesus Christ. Each and every day of our lives. And when we forget to confess our sin and get a new start. Each day as many times as we need to. What a, what a provision that is. Do you have to use that still? Do you have to use that as a mature believer? If anybody considers themselves to be mature, do you still need to use that? That's, a re- that's how you got there in the first place. And that's how you stay there without reverting. So make sure you do that. Make sure you remember that beautiful spiritual grace technique of for living. This life that we live in the flesh. You say, Jesus didn't need it. No, he did not. But you sure do. And so do I. So through whom we have received the great exchange, reconciliation, is catalasso, which means the great exchange. So it starts out with duh, duh, D-E, which is translated either but or and. Here it's and. And not only, then we have Allah, which means but. 
And he says, also, Kai, we boast. We have something to boast about. So much. Rather, someone to boast about. Paul says elsewhere, Philippians 3.3, 3, Jews aren't the true circumcision who have circumcision in the flesh, but we are the true circumcision who have had our hearts circumcised, who worship by means of God's Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, teaching ministry of the Spirit, all seven ministries of the Holy Spirit are ours in their fullness. We are the true circumcision who worship by means of the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus. You know who they are. Those who can't stop talking about him. Putting no confidence in the flesh. Not talking about what people have done. But what about what Jesus has done? In you, for you, through you, and to you. Not in ourselves or anything that we've done. Paul said, may I never boast in anything that I've done, but only that which he has done in me. For I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. Or I am what I am says I am. And that's true. You think he didn't do that? Apply that? Oh, he had to. To know who he was. His identity in Christ and ours. Likewise, comes the same way. Through the word. By the spirit. Through the word. We're the true circumcision who worship by means of the Spirit, boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence at all in the flesh. How are you doing with that? Is that the way it's working in you? Is that the way things are going for you? Are you learning how to do that? Are you acquiring and honing those skills? That's what we're here for. And he'll leave us here as long as he needs to. And keep on working on us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto these good works, which he foreordained, prepared in advance, that we should walk in them effortlessly. It's effortless. You say, my life isn't effortless. My Christian life, my spiritual life's not effortless. Then you're putting confidence in the flesh. And you're doing it according to your own natural designs and desires, and you need not, and you, sh and you must not, you must not do that. You have to let it go. Let it go. Even confess it. So, we only boast in the cross. And you can gauge the things that you do and the things that you say by these passages. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, but May it never be. Make an oito. Perish the thought. Should it occur ever, or should I even think to do such things, that I should boast except in one thing, and one thing only, the finished work of Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, why? Because the worldliness that I used to have and perspective of worldliness that I used to live by and live in was crucified. And I'm not 
acclimated any longer to the world or world system or the things that the world esteems as being valuable or, or profitable. Not anymore. The cross did that. And he said that the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. I'm not of it anymore. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. It has nothing to offer. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? The whole world. What's in the world? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what makes up the world. It's enmity with God. So I'm crucified to the world. Dead people, those who are dead, spiritually speaking, who died with Christ and then were raised to newness of life and have as their destiny a, an eternal home in glory land that outshines the sun and they have a vision of that reality are not interested in the things of the world anymore. Those were crucified when the world was crucified, when you were crucified to the world, or the world was crucified to you. We only boast in what the Lord has done, saved, which has saved us by his blood, the blood of his cross from a fate worse than death. And we know that, we're ever aware of that. From a life without purpose, without meaning, without hope, a life without God. He talks about that frequently within the book of Romans and elsewhere. Excuse me while I boast about my Lord, about his death, about his love, about his kindness, his goodness, his favor, his love, his grace, his mercy. Save my soul forever and my life more than once. I'm talking about here. Preserve my life, save my life, and rescued me out of disaster, trouble. Some of you know what I mean, where you should have been hurt badly or died, and you didn't, because he rescued you, because he wasn't done with you yet. He's not done with us yet, proof being we're here, still here, still drawing our breath. But it's because of him that I have eternal life. That's something I should always be grateful for and think about continually. A home in glory land that outshines the sun. He says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. My Father has many dwelling places, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Read the passages regarding the eternal state. It will encourage you greatly. We don't do that often enough. I'm truly excited about this and look forward to seeing the Lord face to face. I want to know him as best I can this side of eternity, but then looking forward to seeing him face to face, post upon, post upon, face to face, that my joy might be exceeding full. Though we haven't seen him, we love him, though we do not see him now. 
believing in him, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Those who have this hope purify themselves even as he himself is pure. We know that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. So he says, then, he says, and not only, but also, not only this, but also we boast. Then he says, in God, in the God. There's only one God, three persons, subsisting in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, whether it be God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. God, the same one, the one and only God, in the God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, he's the knowable, relational, communicable, and also visible, was visible, and shall be, once again, person of the Godhead. In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. We know that well from the scriptures. Jesus is God in the flesh, and we boast in knowing who he is. That's what we should boast about. That's what this passage says. Calls us to boast in knowing God in through Jesus Christ. Boast in knowing God through Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, there aren't too many who do. Not well acquainted with the Father or the Son. So you can't know the Son apart from the Father or the Father apart from the Son. And so there you have it. That's how we acquire it. In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God in the flesh, and we boast in knowing who he is. That's our boast. We boast in knowing who he is. Not only what he has done, the life that he lived and the death that he died and his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, but who he is. Jeremiah even knew this. And we certainly should as well, if not even better than him. In Jeremiah 9.24, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what you could truly boast about. If you really know him, you can boast that you know him. And that's something that God has given you, something to which you have attained, that is to the knowledge of God, to the knowledge of Christ, who he is, in a personal relationship a very close and intimate personal relationship with him that you've acquired through the Word and the Spirit. That's how you get it. And you say, why are you telling us that? Don't we all, telling us this, do, don't we all have it? I don't know. Answer that for yourself. Don't ask me. How would I know? But you do before God. Jeremiah knew this, and so should you, and so should I. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am. That's not, there's no mistake in the language that the Holy Spirit has chosen to reveal these things. I am, I am, me, Yahweh, the Lord. Anytime the Lord is used in the Old Testament, it refers to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, before his incarnation, who exercises Loving kindness. Kesset. 
That's grace. Justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Do you know how all these things fit into the persona of Jesus Christ? Who he is, what he stands for, what he represents directly for the entire human race and for believers who are the body of Christ. You can be the bride of Christ if you'd like, but we're the body of Christ. The, the, the church is the body of Christ. The church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What verse is that? Ephesians 123. Thank you. So, if there weren't any others, that would be enough. But there are many others. Anyway, so you heard what Jeremiah had to say. Let him boast. If someone's going to boast, boast that they know who the Lord is. The Lord Jesus. He is our great God and Savior in Titus 2.13 who we are to be waiting for, watching for him to suddenly appear and take us where he is. Read, if you haven't read recently, read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, which is not specified in apocalyptic language, but is a direct statement of truth that expresses the absolute physical appearing of Christ and the calling up of all believers, whether they're awake or asleep, whether they're dead already or alive and remain until his coming. He will take us up and out. How that happens exactly is up to him, and nobody really, really, truly knows exactly how or even when that will happen. We just know it happens prior to that time of cataclysm upon the earth, which is to judge the entire population of earth and to rescue the remnant of Jewish believers who survived to the end of the tribulation period. So, we're to be looking for him at all times. First Thessalonians four thirteen to eighteen. He will take us where he is to the place that he's been preparing for two thousand years. He said, "Well, we hear that all the time. Well, think about that. Think what omnipotence could do in two thousand years, and how wonderful it must really be, and how wonderful it's going to be. It'll be shocking. You'll have a hard time getting over it." For all eternity, you'll appreciate it greatly. Like you will everything that you fail to appreciate here. Because it's all fabulous and wonderful beyond compare. And that will really be something to behold in John 14 too, That place he's been preparing for us since 30 AD. When confronted by the Pharisees who questioned Jesus' identity, what he said was either absolutely true or the epitome of blasphemy. One of the two. As C.S. Lewis famously said, 
Jesus is either the Lord, which we know he is. He's the Lord Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Either the Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. And I would really hesitate to say he was either of those, though some people do it flippantly. And we'll be sorry that they did. John eight fifty six. Your father Abraham, Jesus said, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it from afar off. Probably when he offered Isaac on the cross, or on the altar, to see Jesus on the cross. Mount Moriah, the exact spot where Jesus would be crucified many centuries later, 1,500 years later, or so. He saw my day from afar and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And you, see, and you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, not before he lived, before he was born, he was born. Long before Abraham was born, or anybody else for that matter, I am. That gives me the chills. I am. Should. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Like did a disappearing act. His time had not yet come. So, got that? We're going to boast in God through Jesus Christ. Through whom now? Catalasso, catalage. We have the reconciliation. Catalasso to exchange or change places. That which Jesus brought about when he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in, by, and because of him and what he did to ransom us, to rescue us, to save us from a fate far worse than death. He authored and executed the great exchange. And it says, through whom now? The reconciliation, and it says, we have received. Lombano means to receive. Having received it, it is ours forever. I'm rescued, ransomed, redeemed, and reconciled. All ours. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 511. Now look at 512. Therefore, just as through one man... Sin entered into the world, and death, listen to the wording carefully, that the Holy Spirit has chosen, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned when Adam sinned. That's to be added. That's the, that is the crux of the matter. You weren't there. You were in his, Adam's genes. He's the federal head of the human race. 
but someone else came, another atom, second atom, last or final atom, as we'll see. It says, because of this, just as through one man, the sin, what is the sin? The sin of unbelief. That's what it truly is, really is, only is, in the end. The only one that will send men into perdition is the sin of unbelief, not believing that Jesus is the Christ. That's all. And if you only believe that Jesus is the Christ, even if you don't do anything else like the thief on the cross who couldn't, you will go and be with him today. You should you die today in paradise. I just want to make that clear. Because all the other interpretations are queer. They don't belong to the Bible at all. Don't be queer, be clear. The Bible is clear. So, it says, just as through the one man, speaking of Adam, and his disobedience, his willful disobedience, he wasn't deceived, Eve was, but he wasn't. He knew exactly what he was not permitted, the one thing he was not permitted to do. And he chose to do it for the prospect of continuing on in the garden with his lovely wife, who he loved very much and did not want to ever even consider being without. And so he willfully and without equivocation ate, not from the branch, but from the arm and hand of his lovely wife. So, through the one man, the sin into the world entered. It came into the world. It already existed in the spiritual realm with Lucifer, who was stalking the man and the woman. And through the sin came the death, the death sentence. It wouldn't happen immediately. It would happen eventually, 936 years after the curse was declared and the death sentence passed. And, but immediately, spiritually speaking, he died. And he entered into a fog, a complete fog, spiritual fog, where he had great clarity before. Now he was, everything was foggy. Indeed it was. Then it says, and passed unto and and into, it says, thus into all men, that's all others, who would be born in human history from the first man, Adam, the death passed through. Then it says, because all sinned. The first man sinned, resulting in universal condemnation. Physical death, as well as spiritual death, would be set, each one. And every person born alive in human history would need to be regenerated because of that in order to be saved. Notice, every person is condemned by no fault of his own. And therefore, to balance the scales, every one of them is given equal opportunity to be saved without doing anything. Because faith is a little more than nothing at all. It's not doing it's the opposite of doing. It's receiving something that's already done. Therefore, a promise of salvation followed, which when believed, results in eternal salvation by grace and through faith without any works. 
of any kind at all. The same would be true for each one thereafter. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a verse we should all know, forward and backward. This is further commentary and explanation of Paul's statements in chapter 3. Universal condemnation without sin. Individual justification without works. I'll say it once more. You can think about these things. Universal condemnation without any reference to sin. Individual justification without any reference to works. Both by the work of another. Adam, first, in condemnation, and Christ, second. A natural and spiritual species of humanity. Listen to Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They all agree. Even the righteousness of God, through faith, I add alone, in Jesus Christ, for all those who only or merely believe. I added only or merely. That's the sense of it. For there is no difference or distinction. None. Zero. For all sinned. When Adam sinned, I added that. That's the sense. And fall short, therefore, of the glory of God. And also being, see, that's condemnation. That's universal condemnation. And individual justification by faith follows being justified. That is, just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd always done what pleased the Lord. Even if I, just as if I, were Christ himself. Because he died for me as me instead of me. See it? It's a beautiful thing. It goes far deeper than we think. That changes everything for everyone, for time and for eternity. For all sin and false of the glory of God being justified as a gift. It can only come as a gift. Can't earn it or deserve it. By the goodness, generosity of the giver. Not overstepping justice, but paying a terrible price to provide it. By his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Next, notice what was passed from Adam to the rest of the human race. Not sin. Sorry. Death passed from Adam to all of his progeny, all of his descendants. Not as is widely taught that a sin nature is transmitted from parent to child, but rather spiritual death as the condition into which every person is born with two notable exceptions, Adam and Christ. Granted, the nature of spiritual death is sin. But to suggest that sin was passed as a nature puts the cart before the horse and believers get run over by false doctrine 
And as a result, live as though an irresistible force that incites them to sin is irresistible and will prevail, which just plain isn't true. The Bible never teaches any such thing. This is the subject, that's why you have to know Romans. This is the subject of Romans 6 through 8, in particular, which, if understood, will set you free from patterns of thought, decision, and action that have wreaked havoc in untold lives, even in your life, I'm sure. I remember what it was for me before I understood any of these things, before I knew about the grace of God and all of its categories of truth or most of them anyway. In the angelic sphere, as well as in the human sphere, we find the origins of sin. So let's briefly look at the origins of sin. In the angelic sphere and in the human sphere, Lucifer sinned in eternity before time by choice. Sin is a choice. It was for Adam, it was for, it was for Satan, it was for Adam. A choice. And fell without reprieve, that is, Lucifer did, because of pride, which progressed from self-justification. He thought he had every right to do so because he was overlooked, overstepped for honor when he had served so selflessly the creator for untold aeons in eternity before time, from the creation of the angels to the time of man's creation. Then from self-justification to self-delusion to self-absorption, resulting in his unwavering insistence that he was God's equal. He's insane. Insanity. Not willing to abide in the truth, as we're told, in John 8:44, he would prematurely conclude that God was unjust. For how dare he overlook or bypass one as perfect as himself in order to exalt man. Therefore, no one was going to tell him what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Ezekiel 28, 14. John 8, 44. Like the lunatic and liar he had become, he would pretend to be God and solicit a third of heaven's host, starting with the first man, untold numbers of people throughout human history. Adam sinned by an act of his will, just like Lucifer did, in disobedience. But unlike Lucifer, was eligible for rescue, ransom, redemption, and reconciliation by the promised seed. Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.16, or Galatians 3.16, by the blood of the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, Revelation 12, 11, and 13, 8. Here's how it happened. Two men, two gardens, two trees, two acts. Two men, Adam and Christ, two gardens, Eden, and Geshemon, the olive press, Gethsemane. Two trees, the tree of good and evil, and the cross of Christ. The tree of good and evil resulting in death. The cross of Christ resulting in eternal life. Two acts. We'll get into this in the passages ahead. 
Adam's one act of disobedience resulting in death. Christ's one act of obedience resulting in eternal life. Where are you in the fringes? Be affected by both. Two births. You're either an atom, a dichotomous. Man having been born once, having bios, biological life, and sukos, soul life. Or in Christ, a trichotomous man, born twice. Born once in Adam, born twice. Second birth, the new birth, regeneration in Christ. Bios, sukos, sukos, and pneumatos, body, soul, and spirit. And in Adam, born once, die twice. In Christ, born twice. You may only die once, with the exception of the generation that's alive and is coming. Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. That's a positive statement, an absolute guarantee, and a promise that nothing regarding the second death will beset you in any way. Can't. Even if you're just like the thief on the cross who doesn't really even know much or anything at all about Jesus except that he's a king by reading the placard above his head. And the reason he went to heaven is because Jesus said he could and that he would that day. Because that's how much faith knows. Does it? Knows nothing about Jesus. Hardly anything at all. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. He stands in for the non-existent human spirit in a person who's spiritually dead. And suddenly, in an unexpected moment, in a fiat, faith comes in. And you believe in that person. And then, thereafter, learn a little at a time about who he is and what he's done. That faith is accounted as righteousness. All you said was amen, like Abraham did. That's the whole point of Romans. You didn't do anything you can't. God does it all from the beginning to the end. So, two births, Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. No way can it touch you can't even singe you. The second death, the lake of fire can't singe you in any way. Revelation 26. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom. Then on, after, afterward, on into and throughout the eternal state. Verse 14 says, Revelation 20:14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. Revelation 21.8 says, For the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. None of them having believed in Christ for the free and irrevocable gift of eternal life. Born twice, you die once.
1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, Christ. For as in Adam all die. That didn't say anything about you, did it? No, it didn't. So also in Christ all will be made alive. What's that? Everybody, everybody who believes, everybody who's in Christ, just as all are in Adam, those in Christ who believe in Christ will be made alive. Don't try to interpret that any other way. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first one, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Only those who are his. Not those who are not. Did you hear what it said? Those who are Christ's at his coming. Only those who are his. Not those who are not. And God knows, does he not, who those are who are his? 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. Of course he does. Romans 5.12, that's our verse, the verse we're in now. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed, or spread, to all men because all sin. Therefore, death is absolute, sin is volitional disobedience. Death makes obedience impossible. And sin is unbelief, nothing more than unbelief. When you believe, what happens? All of your sins are canceled. Not the, not the, not the, the uh, unintended uh, negative consequences of sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as the ledger, your ledger card. All of your sins are debited, all, and Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. It's the great exchange. Remember? How soon we forget. Death makes obedience impossible. And sin is nothing more than unbelief. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Right? But he who is, does not obey the Son. What's it mean to obey the Son? To believe in the Son. He who believes in the Son... But he who does not obey the Son, as far as believing in the Son is concerned, will not see life. But the wrath, orge, of God, meadow, abides on him. Romans 14, 23. Whatever is not from, out for faith is sin. And now Romans 5, 13. If we have a few minutes, we do, just a couple. We'll introduce this, and then this is where we'll pick up next Sunday. If the Lord tarries, I'm hoping he doesn't. Take me home, dear Lord. Romans 5.13. For until the law came, until the law was given to Moses, sin was in the world, no question about it. Unbelief was in the world, of course it was. You get the line of Cain on through all his descendants and the various distractions and the creation of, of civilization. And how it was the alienation from a relationship with God, with a lamb, and offering of better sacrifices than the sacrifices of Cain, which were the works of his own hand. 
versus the blood of a lamb slain without blemish, without spot or blemish, pointing to Christ, who would fulfill that in Antitipos. Right? Yeah, it doesn't even compare. I'll have to teach you how to pronounce Greek. Anyway, <laughs> it was a great message Greg had last week. Anyway, until, it says, for until law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. It was not imputed to men. It was imputed to one man, Adam, when he sinned, and to Christ, two men, when he was made sin for us. Law doesn't come in. The law isn't charged. Sin isn't charged to man. It says, "For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not charging men's sins. Not charging men's sins. He stored them in Job's bag in Job fourteen seventeen, so that he could dump them all on Christ, gather them from the line of eternity, and dump them all on Christ." April fourth, thirty A.D. And the earth shook. And the sun was blotted out at noon that day as Christ was shoved into a wormhole to suffer the torments of the damned, even like Jonah did in the depths of the ocean. A picture of Jonah Antipas. Beautiful, isn't it? To see those things in the scripture. When the Lord just gives you that vivid, cerebral revelation of those things. You can actually see it in your mind's eye. Anyway. So, until the law. Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed to men. When there is no law, it's not imputed at all. Because it was, they were imputed to Christ. So, that's what he says. 5.13, until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. He says, sin was in the world, but sin was not charged. Imputed means charged. It says, not being charged. The cause of sin is not the sin nature, but attempting to live under the law. You know that, don't you? I hope you've discovered that so far. You say, why do I continue sin? Because you're under the law. God doesn't see you as under the law or put you under the law. You put yourself under the law. And that's why you sin. You're conscious of sin instead of being conscious of Christ and occupied with him. When you're occupied with Christ and filled with the Spirit, you can't sin. Galatians 5.16. Don't you remember? That is such a basic premise of the Christian spiritual life. Sin shall no more be your master, Romans 6.14, for you're not under law, but under grace. Here's another one. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the length of sin is in law. Got it? Sin won't be your master anymore. 
because you're not under law, but under grace. So, the biggest or worst sinners of all were the religious Jews whose attempt to be righteous under the law made them super sinners who conspired with the Romans, literally, forced their hand to crucify the sinless Jesus. The impossibility of imputing sin where there is no law is a concept that Paul is very careful to develop and to communicate so that believers might experience freedom from needless striving against sin. Rather, to live empowered by the Lord, by his word, by his spirit, with confidence in God and courage toward people and circumstances. We talked about the twos. Living as one in whom and for whom the four R's have been enacted. Remember, rescued, ransomed, redeemed, and reconciled. And there's the four C's. We'll end with this. I just want to titillate you a little bit. Confession of sins, claiming the promises, casting all cares, committing your way to the Lord. Four C's. Seven spiritual food groups, theology, Christology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, homardiology, soteriology, and eschatology. Or the word of truth, the word of the cross, the word of his grace, the word of life, the word of reconciliation, the word of faith, and the word of righteousness. You remember all those, don't you? And that's where we'll end. Take up next time. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the rapt attention of, the, of this audience. And that something that was said today might help them immeasurably to exit by faith, by grace and through faith, this supernatural spiritual life. Not to be occupied with sin, but to be occupied with Christ and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As those who walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, are not, it's not possible for them to be enticed or seduced by the lust of the flesh or to do their own bidding, but only to bask in the light and glory of our beautiful, perfect Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who we, we ask, Father, that we might be occupied with him more and more in the coming weeks as everything else, the things of earth, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We thank you that we're not of the world. We're in it, but not of it. That it's crucified. We're crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to us, leaving us with one boast and one boast only, to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We could all stand.